Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. Hi, this is David Green, and welcome back to Hack the Process. This is an exciting week for me because this week, my new book, Scrum, Novice to Ninja, is being released by SitePoint, and you can find that on Amazon at O'Reilly and SitePoint, and I encourage you to go take a look at it and give me some feedback about it. This episode, we're talking with Andrew Nance, and he's a mindful practitioner who enjoys bringing the gift of stillness and presence to classrooms full of students as young as four and five years old. And if you giggled just now, trying to imagine a group of kindergartners practicing mindfulness, you need to hear Andrew describe his experiences teaching children to breathe quietly, all the while thinking to themselves, with this breath my mind grows stronger so I can focus a little longer. Andrew relates the practice of mindfulness to his own experiences with the theater arts and discusses pursuing his passion amid the practicalities of work in the nonprofit sector. He'll also tell us a little bit about his upcoming line of children's books, which might be able to teach all of us how to relate better to our inner puppy minds. So um, today I'm talking with uh, Andrew Nance. And uh, Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself to folks? Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew Nance, and uh, I'm a mindful practitioner. And you've been doing that for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, I've been doing it for about three years, and with every lesson with kids and with every practice for myself, I just feel like it, it just becomes a richer and richer experience for me. So how would you explain mindfulness to people? Right. I like to think of it as present moment awareness. What I like to tell the little kids is mindfulness is the practice of using your breath to focus your mind and body. Using your breath to focus your mind and body. Okay. Right. It's it's an awareness practice, not a calming practice. So so the focusing for for them I think really helps because they've heard that word, you know, be quiet, focus, you know, so that they have that word in their vocabulary already. So I like the word focus. I wouldn't use it with adults. I would I would say, you know, just be aware of your breath, be aware of your body. Um but I think kids need that extra little push to notice when your mind wants to wander, notice when your body wants to wander, because often little kids' bodies will suddenly be crawling across the floor or playing with the kid next to them or their shoe or their hair. So There are a lot of distractions when you're a kid, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. Well, for, for our listeners' sake, would you uh, mind taking us through a little mindfulness exercise just to give us the experience? Absolutely. Should we sit for like a minute or what do you think? Sure. I think that would be okay. interesting. All right. And I'll, I guess I'll talk throughout it just so there's not a lot of silence. Would that, would that make sense? Whatever you think would work best for podcast listeners. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. So listeners, uh, remember, do this in a safe place. So, you know in your home, 
somewhere safe. If you're driving, pull over. Um, if you're at work, uh, you know, turn off your computer and just find a nice safe space and find a nice upright posture, a posture of dignity. I call it a mindful posture. And just allow your eyes to close. And if that feels uncomfortable, just focus on a spot in front of you. It could be your desk or your knees. And, um, and if it feels safe, you could also just use a hand to cover your eyes, whatever you prefer. And then we're gonna just take three deep mindful breaths, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. Last time, breathing in, breathing out. And as we sit with our eyes closed, just remember that mindfulness is a noticing game. So anytime our thoughts start to wander or our body starts to wander, that's okay, that's normal. But just notice it and then come back to your breath. Breathing in. Breathing out. And a mantra I like to use is this breath, this moment. This breath, this moment. It helps anchor us in the present. Just sit like this for another 20 seconds or so. And if any distractions occur, that's life. Just come back to your breath. And without shifting too much, take this new awareness into the next moment as we open our eyes and come back to the here and now. You are a very good mindful student, David. <laughs> Thank you. You have a very gentle voice and it's pleasant to listen to. Oh, good. Thank you. Oh, I should start every podcast that way. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, a lot of teachers now in universities are starting with mindful minutes. Um, and I know a law professor at Hastings in San Francisco who has this huge gong and uh, he carries it around the school and he brings it into every classroom. And at first the, you know, the law students giggle when they see it, but now they crave it because he starts each lesson 
with the gong and they sit mindfully for one minute. And then he also does it before a test because of course, when we breathe mindfully, we're bringing oxygen to our brains. We're, you know, bringing oxygen to our body. So we're really preparing the mind to focus. So I thought it was a brilliant idea. He just came up with the idea on his own. He's not even really a mindfulness practitioner, but he understood the value of oxygenating the mind and body before beginning something like a test. I can certainly see the value of that for uh, for students in a class. Uh, they, they associate the gong with the focus and attention of learning, and then they associate the gong also with the focus and attention of taking the test. It brings them back to that space every time. Right. Because we worry, right? You know, who hasn't worried? Did I study enough? Did I study the right things? And, you know, and at that point, the worrying isn't really helping anyone. So so what inspired you to get involved in mindfulness practices? Well, I was running a place called the New Conservatory Theater Center's Conservatory, their school component, for about 18 years, a little longer. And I just felt like I needed a new phase, a new experience. So I just took some time off and I found a course that a friend of mine was taking through San Francisco State University called The Science of Well-Being. And that really fascinated me because I really didn't know how to have well-being in my life. You know, I, I had distractions to help me feel good, you know, like, um, like running or theater or sports or eating or, you know, sex or <laughs> drinking, you know, whatever, you know, I, I, and I realized they were all things that are outside of myself. I needed, I needed, you know, kind of like a dopamine hit in order to feel good. And I just felt like, well, that's, that's not a, that's, that's not a, um, sustainable really, because, you know, as I get older, I'm not going to be able to do the things that are as pleasurable as running or drinking or sex or shopping or whatever, you know, you become less mobile and, I just felt like I needed to have a better internal compass. So I started exploring. So I took that course. And finally, about nine months later, I was introduced to a course at UC Berkeley at the Greater Good Science Center. And they had a week-long symposium or institute for teachers to learn about social-emotional learning. Uh, so I went and it was a it was a sleepaway camp. So we got to live in the dorms and eat in the cafeteria and meet all these teachers from all over the world. And we learned all sorts of different things. Um, we learned some theater games to help uh, kids learn to focus. We did mindfulness exercises. We had neuroscientists come in about rewiring our brains. Uh, to be uh, happier. A gentleman named Rick Hansen is an incredible uh, neuroscientist who wrote a, a book called The Buddha Brain. And cool. it's really fantastic. We'll, we'll find that and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. And also the symposium. If, is it a regular thing? Yes, every year they do it. And I, if you're a teacher, I would highly recommend it, um, you know, just for your own personal growth. And um, and to give that wisdom to kids is just life changing. 
you at know. the time, were you already a teacher? Well, I had been running the theater school for, you know, those 18 years. And then I had been a drama teacher before that. So, yes, I would I would say I've considered myself a, a theater teacher for years. And um, and in that symposium, I started realizing the similarity between theater training and mindfulness training were almost identical. So that really got me jazzed. And I started thinking about all the theater games I'd ever played. And I realized, oh my gosh, that's mindfulness, you know, learning to focus, learning to connect with another human being on stage, uh, you know, remembering if you're nervous to take a breath, feel your feet on the floor, listen to what the other person is saying. That's all mindfulness is. The only difference between theater training and mindfulness is theater training, you want to react to a situation. There's this expression, acting is reacting. So if someone says something hateful towards you, you, you know, you slap them on stage, right? Or you, or you yell back at them, or you throw a chair, or, you know, something very dramatic, and the audience, you know, applauds or gives you an award or whatever. But in mindfulness, what you want to do when someone is hateful to you or some, someone triggers you in some way is you notice your response to their action. So someone says something mean to me, I feel my body getting angry or getting sad or getting nervous. And then I take that breath in that brief moment of awareness and I'm able to respond to the situation rather than react. Because often these kids that I work with are very unregulated, right? So someone says something mean to them and suddenly, you know, they're on top of each other, throwing, pulling things and throwing things and they wind up in the principal's office or worse, you know? And, and so with, uh, so with the mindfulness training, it allows them to notice that they have the choice to find that pause uh, through through their breath. Interesting. So I noticed that you used uh, two words. You used the words respond and react. And I'm curious if you could distinguish between them for, for our listeners. You can. We can either react blindly or respond wisely. So responding, I think is noticing that there is a pause. There's more of a, a mindful quality to responding to a situation rather than reacting to a situation, right? We all want to react sometimes. Like we're, if a car is coming towards us, we want to be able to react, but we also want to be able to respond um, as needed too. And it's having that training, uh, and I think we all could benefit from training to notice when is it okay to respond to a situation and when is it okay to react. That's interesting. It sounds like there are a lot of different professions where this kind of uh, awareness and mindfulness could be very useful as part of the training. Yes. Teachers, for one, I have to say, you know, I've worked with some, with some wonderful teachers. Um, and at times they're all very reactionary. And I just think, this work would be so beneficial to teachers because nothing's worse than feeling like I said the really wrong thing to a child today because I reacted rather than responded. 
that that really does not sit well with with anyone you know when they're when you're when you're remembering you know an 11 year old face looking up at you and you you said that you didn't like them or or you know whatever it might have been no and it's not something you can ever take back either that's right they're going to remember that they're going to be like i remember this one guy who said something terrible to me so is uh, is that how you've decided to bring your practice to working with children so i left that symposium and i went to study with a organization called mindfulschools.org and definitely please link to them because they they really uh, got me motivated to to go deeper into this work and they are an online uh, uh, organization that teaches teachers from all over the world in sort of a kind of a podcast kind of way where you hear instructions or you you watch instructions you watch videos and then they ask you to do homework through the week either with a friend or with your class or with sometimes i would work with uh theater people like a cast of of actors in shows that i directed uh to do the mindful work each week and then you would write a paper short paper on what your experience was and then you could connect with other uh teachers who were taking the class and share their you know share your insights and receive theirs so so i did that for about 12 weeks i have a friend who teaches teachers how to use the arts in uh various disciplines so using art with math, using art with science, using art with history, using art with English. Um, and she uh, shared with the group that I had—I was now a mindful practitioner and I would be willing to go into their classroom and teach the curriculum I had just learned through mindfulschools.org. So I got two teachers to say yes. And, um, and then I started at a school out in the Bayview in San Francisco, and then one in the Mission in San Francisco, and they were both uh, transitional kindergarten classes. Kindergarten? You start that that young? Yes, that's that's my youngest I've I've done so far. So I know it's wild, and people people go people get a smile on their face, like you have a smile on your face right now, uh, and they're like, "How do you? What do you do with kindergartners to teach them mindfulness?" and Turns out there's a lot, lots you can teach them about mindfulness and it's a lot of fun. And, um, and I actually teach adults as well. I, I, I've taught educators and, uh, you know, parents, friends. That's interesting. So how does your training usually work? Are these usually one-off sessions with a class or is this something that you do in a sequence over a period of time? This is a sequence through a period of time. Like, for my transitional kindergarten class, which transitional kindergarten means kids that were young for kindergarten. So they're four years old in August, September, and October, um, or, or, or October. So they haven't quite turned five yet at the beginning of the school year. So the school or the school district has deemed that they're not ready for kindergarten. So they're even, they're a little younger than kindergarten. So um, so I started with them in September and I've been working with them ever since. So my curriculum that I, I've written um, at Mindful Arts 
San Francisco is a 18 week curriculum. So I've already gone through it once with them. So I've just started over because uh, kids learn by repetition anyway. So the fact that they're hearing the story again is not a problem. It's actually kind of comforting to them. Now I'm trying to imagine a, a classroom full of four to five year old kindergartners trying to be mindful together. I, I, I'm having trouble picturing it because I know how much energy they have at that age. I know, I know. So I, I should tell you, the um, the curriculum started because I was having such a good time with these transitional kindergartners from, I think, late January until about May with the mindfulschools.org curriculum um, that I didn't want to leave the school. So so I had to start making up my own curriculum and I would play theater games with them and they really liked it. So that was kind of uh, rewarding and, and comforting, like, okay, all right, this is very similar to mindfulness. That's great. And then I thought, okay, let's read them some mindful stories. So I looked for mindfulness books for kids. And I have to say, I didn't find a whole heck of a lot of great children's stories like Clifford, the big red dog, you know, kind of, kind of quality or curious George or things that just really pulled you in or even Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss was my favorite growing up and there just wasn't anything out there um, with that caliber of writing. Um, so I, I found one that I thought, okay, this could work. And I read it to the kids and they just were not that excited. I, I just saw it on their faces. They just, they just kind of were looking at the ceiling and, and so I went home and I decided to write a children's story on mindfulness. And, and then basically about an hour or two later, I had written four. <laughs> and, and they all are on a different principle of mindfulness. One is on kindness. One is on the breath. One is on compassion. One is on... Um, the past and how often sometimes we live in the past so much that we can't experience our futures. Uh, one is about nervousness and, and how to make friends, even though we're nervous to kind of notice the nervousness, not push it away, but just notice it and think of it as a friend and introduce ourselves to that person, even though we're scared, you know, or the other one is, butterfly belly about about uh when cocooning in our room is not an option <laughs> about how sometimes you know we gotta just you know roll up our our sleeves and and be afraid and do something anyway and um so so yeah so that's that's one of them um oh there's one called the lion in me about um how anger is always inside us, but it's our job to sort of name and tame the anger or any emotion really, so that it doesn't take over us like a storm, you know? These sound like stories I, I would have benefited greatly from hearing when I was four and five years old. I know, everyone says that. I wish I had, I wish I had had them too. Um, and the first one, which is, which is really um, the one I'm most excited about only because um, it's getting published in August. It's called My Puppy Mind. 
And it's about how our minds like to wander like puppies. And it's our job as the owner of the puppy mind to get it to heal to the present. So, uh, so yeah, if you can imagine, you know, imagine just for a second how often your mind wanders around and just like a little puppy. And it's our job to just train the mind to notice when the mind wanders and then using our breath, bring it back to the present, bring it back to the breath. That is a good image. And it's the sort of thing that a child would be able to grasp and enjoy. They have a smile on their face. You know, the, the, the Buddhists talk about the monkey mind. And to me, monkeys are a little wild for me. Like, I don't want a monkey running around in my brain. You know, a puppy I can handle. That's the image that I like. And it, and it is, a, it's, not a, it's not an original thought, this puppy mind. Pe- other people have coined this thought. But, um, but I, I really have enjoyed kind of instilling that concept for kids, because you're absolutely right. They just totally get it that their minds and bodies are like puppies. Now, this is an interesting point, because one of the things that I know I've, I've had trouble with and I've seen people have trouble with is this isn't an original idea, so I can't do it. And yet you've gone ahead and you've taken something, you know, that it isn't 100% original, but it's it's derivative. It's based on something else. And yet you're going forward with it anyway. I really admire that because the way that you do it isn't going to be the same way that somebody else does it. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, you know, there's that term imperfect action. And I just keep, I've been telling me myself that a lot this year because this is all new, you know, and I have to say there's, I've had some sleepless nights where I've written a curriculum and I think, okay, well, I think it's good, but I don't know if the kids will think it's good. So, you know, so it's, it's a little like doing theater in the sense that you know pretty clearly if your audience is not with you or not. So, um, so yeah, so I have been scared throughout this year at times, but I've also really been buoyed up by the joy and the energy and the, the understanding of the kids um, in regards to this work. I can imagine. So the, this, uh, this thing of failure, people, people are scared of failing at something and you're going out there with this imperfect process and letting things, letting things happen. Can you tell me a little bit about how that experience happens when you do experience a failure and how you cope with it? Right. Ooh. Um, well, I, I definitely have that gremlin come up that says, you know, oh, well, I guess you weren't supposed to be doing this after all. And then, and then I, I just, I kind of, you know, it's a thought, right? That thought, that thought gremlin just pops up and I just have to notice it and go, thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it, but I'm going to move forward anyway. I tend to go after the things that make my hands um, kind of uh, tingle, if that makes sense. You know, like I think about something, I think, yeah, let's do that. That'll be really cool. Let's, let's write a children's story. Let's, you know, I'm, I just look for where the energy is, not where the should is or, or, you know, the shouldn't is. It sounds like your uh, mindfulness is tying back directly into your own sense of uh, what gets you motivated. That's right. That's right. Um, You know, I, I think, I think a lot of us, want to shake off 
uncomfortable emotions. And, and really that's, that's the rub is that it's mindfulness wants you to just hold and see the emotions rather than try to discard them or cover them up with happiness or, you know, whatever else. How do you make something like this, which is clearly a, a, it's a personal passion for you and it's something that you're enthusiastic about. How do you turn that into something that can support you? So my hope is right now I'm volunteering and I have five or six other volunteers who are helping me in the classroom, depending on, you know, usually I have one or two people in a classroom assisting me. So I, I teach about 12 classes a week and and then I've got these other volunteers. So, so I work with an organization called the San Francisco Education Fund, and they are the volunteer wing of the school district. So they're sort of my umbrella organization. So my hope is that Mindful Arts San Francisco will eventually legitimately be uh, a wing of, of San Francisco Education Fund. And that my my coordination that I've been doing for the last year or, or seven months will be become a paid position through grants, um, that sort of thing, and and through do- donations, etc. I think I think there is a need for um, I think. I think there's a benefit for having volunteers go into the schools, but I also think this would be a great, great model to actually pay teachers to do this work. Uh, so that's 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 sort of the the future for for my organization, Mindful Arts San Francisco. Um, so that's those are the choices I have in front of me. You know, do I want there to be a, one executive director, possibly me? Uh, who gets paid and then they run, they manage a cohort of volunteers or do we have uh, paid instructors who do this work or is it a combination of both? So we're, I'm just, I'm still massaging that idea. The other thing is when this book gets published, it is, it is going to get published by uh, Parallax Press is the name of the publisher. The proceeds will go to support Mindful Arts San Francisco. So, uh, so who knows? It would be lovely if that was enough money to pay the executive director. It would be lovely if we could distribute books to every school in the city. Um, you know, every librarian in the city. Um, you know, maybe even every kid in the city. That would be fantastic if every if every child got a Puppy Mind book. Um, that's a lovely vision. Have you, uh, have you worked in nonprofit before? Yeah. Yeah. My theater was a nonprofit. So, yeah. So I definitely know that world. I've written many grants over the years. So getting back to the work you're actually doing right now with the volunteers, coordinating, um, coordinating a dozen volunteers or however many you have, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot to do. How do you manage that? How do you keep track of all of that stuff? Yeah. You know, just like anyone, you know, Google spreadsheet, uh, Excel spreadsheets, um, you know, the beginning of a semester is tricky, but once they're there, they're there, you know, so you really aren't having to do too much work once they're showing up. Um, 
And again, they're, you know, they're assisting me. They're not running a class. So there's, there's not a lot of worry on my end, whether they show up or don't on any given week. Um, and the other good thing is since we're all volunteers, there's a, there's a real sense of gratitude that we're even there. You know, I, all the teachers know we're just doing this because we feel like the work is valuable. So how are you getting the word out about what you're doing? I've been using, uh, the uh, social media, Facebook, um, the San Francisco Education Fund has thousands of volunteers that they use for literacy and math uh, proficiency, mentorships, um, you know, all sorts of different uh, types of activities within the schools. So what we did was we just emailed all of them and said, we have a training coming up in October if you have a mindfulness background or a meditation background, you please feel uh, free to come to this training. And so the first training we had, we had so many people interested that uh, we had to do it on two different days. So that was great. Um, and uh, unfortunately, a few of the few of them were teachers from a school, the school that I work with out in the Bayview called Charles Drew Academy. So they were really curious about if they could, you know, use it in their own classrooms and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, I think, I think I underestimated how daunting it might feel to take on a new curriculum. But what I've heard from other people who have started to use my curriculum independently of me is that it's actually quite easy. Um, but they get they just People get like you're talking about. People get nervous starting new things. People get fearful, and and they let that fear uh, debilitate them because they don't want to do it wrong. But you know, life's about you know making mistakes, and then you know falling down, and then dusting yourself back off. So, so how does where you've ended up now compare to where you thought you'd be a year ago? <sighs> that I I don't think I had any idea I would have i mean it's it's like light years i mean it's this year has felt so accelerated to me it's almost like someone has picked me up by both arms and pushed me forward and and you know that's maybe metaphoric metaphoric but it's it also may be true i just don't know it just feels like everything has just fallen into place the stories have 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 all landed or if they didn't quite land it was really really fixable just with you know explaining it a different way slowing the story down and then asking the kids questions to make sure they were comprehending you know just little little stuff needed to be tweaked along the way but it's really feeling like just like i'm right in that that groove where i'm supposed to be um and it's just it's just so curious. I mean, it just my curiosity is just so peaked every time I go into class. Like I just think, well, let's see what happens. You know, this is fascinating. You know, what will go wrong? What will go right? What will I learn from it? And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just loving the process. I love that you're, you 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 just dive in and you're trying these these things and you know, you you learn as you go you don't necessarily know in advance this is going to be the result but you just keep your mind open to see what that's happens. right that's right yeah i heard someone speak the other day and she said you know don't worry about what we're passionate about 
notice what you're what we're curious about because the curious will possibly lead to a passion but often sometimes when something is just so passionate it burns out too quickly and and mine just started as a curiosity like you know the science of well-being what is that and then it just led me you know that class i took you know and it just led me down this road of of in you know of just in these intriguing things that that sort of came into my awareness and i you know started reading books and um you know and just uh just kept exploring and, and I'm, I'm curious were there, were there any particular uh, books or uh, teachers that you found like that have really formed a core for your understanding things you found very motivational absolutely um one i think is a is really great it takes about a day to read it's called sitting still like a frog and i'm going to just make sure i'm getting that exact title right for you um and uh but it's a really sweet book it's all about working with kids um but i think a, i think even even if you're just looking at the ideas of mindfulness um for yourself you don't even need to have a kid uh that's a really great book by Eileen e l i n e snell s n e l and i think she lives in the netherlands um but she's terrific Mm-hmm. And uh, I just love it. And then um, The Way of Mindful Education is another book that is fantastic. And the gentleman who wrote that is Daniel Reichtenschaffen, R-E-C-H-T-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-N. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that I really value is a magazine called mindful magazine and i get it monthly and it's just a great touchstone for me to remember the principles of mindfulness uh techniques for mindfulness retreats um merchandise you know i'm curious if uh, if you've been putting together a pr machine for yourself because you do need to get your word out as well yeah that's a great question I was actually just talking to someone today about that, that I think what the work that I'm doing is pretty interesting to watch. Like a lot of people will come to watch the class and they like this little kids class, especially the kindergarten class. And they think these kids are in first or second grade because they're able to sit so still and engage and ask questions. And so it's really rewiring their brains. You know, it's not just, it's not just, um, you know, let's just sit around and, and cross our legs and hope for the best. What's happening really is that the brain is getting uh, thicker. The prefrontal cortex is getting thicker, stronger. It's rewiring uh, every breath, moment by moment. You know, I, I have this little mantra with this breath. My mind grows stronger so I can focus a little longer. (laughs) That's, that's what I, that's what the kids say to themselves in their minds when they're sitting so they can remember, um, to, to not wander away that they, they have some sort of touchstone to come back to when their minds start to wander. I imagine a lot of people would love to see, uh, see kids in this state doing this and it would be very inspiring. 
It really is. I, I had an assistant principal come in for, gosh, about five classes. And she was just like, I just love what you're doing with these kids. But I just love that she's, she saw the value in it. And, and you know, it's probably telling people about this type of work. Have you gotten any response from the parents of the kids you've worked with? No, I haven't. But I'm only there for a half an hour. So I really don't get to meet the kids. I, once or twice, a parent has sat with us and and done focus time with us or, or meditation. Uh, so that's been really sweet is that they get to meditate with their kids. And I would love to see more of that, that parents come in and just take an opportunity to be still with their kids. Because often, you know, relationships with parents and kids is so adversarial. You know, it's, it's, stop doing this, eat your breakfast, let's go. You know, it's all about barking orders at kids and, and rarely do they just take time to be kind to their kids. You know, that should be a huge value in a, in a, in a family's life is kindness and gratitude and, and pausing and breath breathing, you know, um, we just don't take the time. It sounds like there could be opportunities for outreach to family organizations in addition to schools. You're right. In fact, I'm, I might be working with an organization this summer uh, in the Bayview with families that were formerly homeless. And the idea is to work with the parents for a while on mindfulness and then the children for a while on mindfulness and then bring them together once they have the tools uh, to to find that pause of awareness, uh, then they could actually probably even take class together. Um, the concern that the the organ uh, the uh, the doctor that I was I was chatting with has is that um, parents get so wound up around their kids that they'd probably be you know barking orders at the kids to be mindful and you know stop, <laughs> you know yelling at them to be mindful and. And that's unfortunately uh, not how it works. Uh, when I when I have had a class that has been really unfocused, and that really only happened once in the last year, I just said, you know what? Today's not the day for mindfulness. I see that. So I'm going to come back next week, and we're going to see if we can try again. And so, so you never want to force anyone into trying mindfulness it has to feel like a choice it's it sounds like you've uh, you need to target your your efforts and decide whether you want to be like repairing the damaged or helping the people who are already in, in a in a solid place get even better you know i think we're all a little traumatized by our, our pasts our, our our childhoods and so so you know i just think we're all on some sort of spectrum when it comes to mental health and 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 anyone can benefit from the skill of present moment awareness. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. So where can our listeners find you? Well, they can go to mindfulartssanfrancisco.org and they can look at my website. They can contact me via email or phone. They can write uh uh, letter. They can send a donation. I'm definitely on social media. It's Andrew Nance uh, at Facebook. So 
I, I friend uh, folks uh, indiscriminately. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, cause I do, I do post a lot of articles about mindfulness. Um, I do post articles on theater as well. Um, and uh, very rarely do I post stuff about my personal life, but sometimes, sometimes I do. Um, so that's, that's fine too. Uh, it's a great networking opportunity. And, um, and there's a great uh, Facebook page called Mindful Schools Community um, that is a, is a good thing to link up to. Um, and there's another organization I'd like to mention called Mind, the Mindful Life Project up in Richmond. And they, they are the largest service provider of daily mindfulness training in the world. And I'm on their board. And I love them. They're really fantastic people. And it's a great organization. And they use uh, hip hop and rap and uh, yoga to teach mindfulness to kids in Richmond. And yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful group. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure some people are going to follow you on Facebook just on the off chance that they might catch a little video of some one of your classes in action. Yes, that's a great idea. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>